listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 296. I'm your host, Annika Harrison, and joining me this week is my co-host Pontus Böckmann. Hallo! Hey son, hey son! Hello, hello! It's just the two of us again, I think. Yes, we are missing our third musketeer. <laughs> yes, he is in psychic connection with us, but he couldn't be here tonight. And he's not going to be here next week either. Spoiler. Yep. He is a very busy man. We have to uh, share him with the rest of the world. And he is in big demand at the moment. We should sing a song for him, like, All I want for Christmas is Andrash. Or, or not. something. <laughs> we should also maybe not do that. But uh, <laughs> anyway, Andros, wherever you are, I hope you're good. Welcome back whenever you have time yes, for us. We're missing you. Yes, we are. I understand you have an interesting event coming up that listeners will be interested in to hear about, right? Yeah, exactly. Because I will give a Skeptics in the Pub online talk on uh, Thursday, the 11th of November. Right. With the UK skeptics, yeah. right? So this yes, is in English. Exactly. Mm. Yeah, it will be in English and it will be about Wikipedia and partly about GSRW, but I don't want to, of course, don't want to tell too much. <laughs> so you have to listeners be there. and every, yeah, everyone who's interested has to be there. <laughs> yeah, we will put a link in the show notes. And yes. if one misses that, it is recorded, right? So you can yes. see it later on YouTube. I, I guess they do what... What we also do in the Swedish Skeptics Day, they edit it down a little bit just to take away the pauses and uh, yeah. and things. And then you, then you can see it on, on YouTube. Mm, Great. Exactly. Very exciting. Yeah, super exciting. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking about Wikipedia, mm. um, the GSOW project, the Guerrilla Skeptics on Wikipedia, led by Susan Gerbeck, they actually had a really cool win this week. And mm. that was that they got to 100 million page views 100 million page views that that is amazing i yes. can't imagine how much that is actually yeah they achieved that over the last 11 years because that's how old the project is already mm. <laughs> and they have almost 2000 articles in about 15 languages so yeah that's that's a huge milestone so, and how um, do they how do they count that what 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 does it mean 100 million page views As far as I know, they have something they call the stat badger, <laughs> and they count, like once someone says like, hey, I wrote this page, Susan can put it into the stat badger, and then it just counts hits. So it's how, basically how many a little people bot open that, that page. Yeah. Yes, okay. from, from the time you put the address in. Wow. Yeah. But Susan can tell us more about that. Uh, we will, spoiler alert, have her on the show for a little interview in a few weeks. So that will also be very exciting. <laughs> yeah, right. So we're starting off on a good note here. We have lots of good news. I have another good news for us all. And uh, I, I would say most of our listeners are familiar with Snopes. Snopes.com is a mm -hmm. fact-checking website which we cite from time to time. And uh, it's really great. And we've even had... One of the reporters on the show once, Bethania Palma, was a guest, and I had to look this up, uh, way back on episode 70. So this is April 2017. And we've been in, in touch a little bit since then, but uh, that's it's going starting to be a long time ago. Mm -hmm. Anyway, she was visiting Sweden, and uh, I had the opportunity to meet her in person and interview her. So that was great. But if you have followed Snopes at all, And what they do, you will know that they, for over four years, have been involved in a bullshit lawsuit in the US. One that would absolutely have killed them if it hadn't been for the support that they got from, from the public, from people who are actually helped them pay for their legal fees. And now, finally, there is good news. A federal judge in the US has declared that, quote, this lawsuit is both frivolous and was filed to harass the defendants, end quote. And the defendants are the Snopes. Mm. And the people who filed the lawsuits, who have been doing this harassing, they will now need to pay the legal fees for Snopes. And this was the federal lawsuit, but there's also a state lawsuit to be settled. But also they're starting to look promising for Snopes. And the lawsuit has nothing to do with the credibility of, of Snopes as such. It's about another company, a tech vendor, 
who managed to get hold of some shares in Snopes and therefore has a one person on the board of Snopes. And so there's a guy on the board of Snopes who is at the same time trying to sue them to force them to do business with them. You can read all about that by following the link that we will put in the show notes. But finally, it seems that this ghost is is disappearing. It's been hanging over Snopes uh, as a dark cloud for many years now. Good news. Yes, indeed. So uh, speaking of people who's actually been on the show, I think you have news about Holm Himmler. Yes, because I'm not quite sure if I mentioned it before, but he has a new book out um, yeah. that he wrote with his um, co-author Ulrike Schieser. And they wrote the book Fakt und Vorurteil. And uh, that's like fact and prejudices, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is, of course, a little pun with pride and prejudices. <laughs> yeah, okay, so I understand. It's pretty cool uh, in that regard. And um, the book is about communication with esoterics, fanatics, and conspiracy believers. And it's just a good time to to give this book a shout out on the show. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. It's a good, good book. Good. Uh, and Holm Hümmler was also on the Ferngespräch convention in Austria last weekend. So they were at a get together of different skeptics and like-minded people in Austria. So Holm Hümmler, Bernd Harder, Lydia Benecke, Martin Moder that we also had on the show. All familiar um, names, yes. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> And it was organized by Tommy Krabweis. People who were also there were Hoaxilla from the Hoaxilla podcast, mm -hmm. Florian Eigner. And I think it was just a really cool weekend for um, skeptics and skeptically minded people. So everything I saw on the internet about it looked very exciting. <laughs> good, 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 good. And thanks to that we have put a nice index on our webpage now, I could look up on the fly here that... We first interviewed Holm Hümmler on episode 84, and that was for the upcoming, then upcoming uh, European Skeptics Congress in Poland, which was in 2017. Yeah, wow. Yeah. That's where I got to, like met you first. That's uh, right. Pontus. That's right. It was a good time. Good time. And I understand, Pontus, that you had an interview with someone we also met in 2017. Yes, right? speaking of catching up with people that we know. Um, <laughs> uh, instead of um, doing This Week in Skepticism and Poking the Pope today, we're going to air this interview that I had with uh, Ovidiu Kovacu. We talked about vaccinations and... Uh, Unfortunately, you and Andras were not able to, to join mm. us, but I caught up with Ovidio uh, just the other night. And uh, Ovidio, of course, is no stranger to longtime listeners of the ESP. We've had him on the show three times already over the years. So this is his fourth appearance. And we have in the past talked about measles and vaccinations in his native Romania. and uh, But also... Internationally, he's been an advocate for, for vaccinations. So it was a good opportunity to catch up with how Romania and the Eastern Europe is doing when it comes to COVID vaccinations. Mm -hmm. So we will uh, run that uh, interview now. Exciting. Welcome back to the ESP video. It's been a while. Thank you. Good to, to see you and to uh, welcome to everyone listening. I think uh, naturally man, many of our listeners and skeptics across Europe know who you are and your familiar name. But uh, looking back, I realize it's about two years since you've been on the show last. So, so maybe just to remind everyone who you are, you've been working for many years to fight misinformation about vaccines not just in Romania, but also internationally. Yeah. And uh, you are a founder and president of the Romanian Rationalist Society, and you have your own podcast in, in Romanian. What's it yes. called? It's called Skeptics in Romania, which now sounds very COVID-skeptic <laughs> yeah, COVID <laughs> COVID friendly, but it's really not. Ouch. No, yeah. of course not. No, that's right. So uh, we have you back this time to talk about what you described to me before as the vaccine failure in Romania and Bulgaria specifically. So what can you tell us about the situation? Right. So I wanted to sort of um, give some color because I'm sure like most of the countries in Western Europe are sort of past the moment of needing to care about the lockdowns and all that. At least I hope for their good. And uh, the only countries in the EU, at least, that are still pending are Romania and Bulgaria. 
And I wanted to sort of say why, and at least try mm -hmm. to get our view as skeptics over why this is happening. To sort of give some light into why this is happening. Romania started very strongly in the vaccination, actually. Mm -hmm. And then it sort of lost <laughs> all the speed it had. At, at one point, I think we were saying we are number three in Europe in terms of number of people vaccinated. Right. Okay. And that took a, took a bit. And then in, I think, the early May, the president and the prime minister, they both said, okay, well, the pandemic is over. Okay. We won. It's, it's done. And uh, there's nothing else. I mean, just get vaccinated and the pandemic is over. Mm -hmm. And they started this uh, list of reopenings and relaxations during the process. And, you know, people just didn't feel any pressure for it. And of course, the summer months came and then that that went all well. Uh, there was a very, let's say, not very strong push towards vaccination, as in campaign, physical campaigns. There was a lot of access. Like, access was great. Is it free to be vaccinated in Romania? Yeah, absolutely, yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So it's free and there's a lot of access, at least in cities. It's high access. In the rural areas, people could have asked for it and they had mobile caravans going in and then getting people vaccinated if they wanted to. There's mm -hmm. no pressure, nothing that would have said, like, you need to get vaccinated for that and that. Well, except, of course, the Green Pass, which uh, came in across the EU. But that's it. I mean, no specific push from the government and or country to, to go forward. You know, on inertia alone, people got vaccinated at about 25%. And uh, that's about it. I, from what I remember, Bulgaria was a bit lower. Um, and they started opening up to everyone earlier than uh, early May, just saying, okay, everyone can go in and get vaccinated because no, nobody wants to do it in the medical and the priority groups. Now, why nobody has gotten vaccinated with the speed in other countries, it's more of a misinformation campaign and the fact that there have been no sticks, let's say, to the carrots. We've had some carrots. Uh, there's a mm -hmm. there's about 25 euros, I think, as a bonus uh, if you get vaccinated. Okay. And there, there were some uh, like free food in some locations, like traditional food. You could get a plate of, of that. You know, some some places gave some discounts, like normal little things. But there was no sticks. No, you can't do this if it, if you don't get vaccinated. Right. This is only happening now. There's like discussions about vaccinating, man, mandating vaccines for certain groups like medical personnel. This is just happening in October. It, it's, it's in the initial discussions in Parliament. The strongest reason for not vaccinating was simply misinformation. There is, I think this is common uh, to people that get into hospital and have denied vaccination. I don't think everyone that gets there is an anti-vaxxer, like rabid anti-vaxxers. I think they just have been misinformed and they are tragically missing out on incorrect information. Do, do you recognize, is this the same actors that are spreading the misinformation about the COVID vaccine that was spreading, or still, I guess, is spreading the, the anti-vax information about the, the MMR vaccines? That, that you've been working against for so long. The same people that were against pediatric vaccination were are still against the COVID vaccine for sure. However, they got an entirely different group of people to help out, which is the, you know, quote, uh, freedom fighters. Mm -hmm. The people that think that, you know, getting a vaccine or accepting the certificate, the green pass is a, is a problem towards their freedom. And it's like, it's impossible to accept such things. And, of course, there was also a political movement that sort of fought against restrictions, as everywhere have been, but we actually voted them into parliament. So mm -hmm. Bad idea, yeah. Yeah, they got like nine, nine, almost 10%. So they're not strong, but they're not low either. Yeah, the, the misinformation, these are like specific actors, and, and this is what has been worrying me for a long time, that there's a lot of misinformation among doctors. Doctors in this scenario came in and started spewing all the lies of misinformation that have being seen across the globe we don't even necessarily need to repeat them but they were doctors like had doctor in their name and they just regurgitated everything with very little review like a medical review based on their own knowledge saying okay let, well this sounds like bullshit let's not let's not say it. no 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 everything is good let's just say it uh, and once the doctors started saying it some of them of course but big enough to uh, be viral then the political actors came in the usual conspiracy freaks got a lot more access to the press. 
and actually the press invited doctors who were anti-vaccine to explain why. Why don't you like the vaccines? And doctors who were saying, oh, you, you might get vaccinated and then get leukemia in a few years. It's like, where do you get that yeah <laughs> what sort of data do you have it's on that totally we, made we, up yeah we don't even have the, i mean it was this is this is like before the actual vaccines existed you know we, they were just like announced and ready and we were waiting for them to come in it was like oh you get get the vaccine and get leukemia how would you possibly know this and of course there was a lot of uh, fertility stuff the funniest story by the way because then I mean, this works as a funny story um the one of the loudest anti-vaxxers in the country is like is now a politician, and uh, she said that if you get the vaccine, you will will have sterility over three generations. You'll be sterile over three generations. So your children. <laughs> oh, so your children, who you can't have, and their, will also and be sterile, and they will get children which they can't have. They, Jesus Christ, that just illustrates how badly. They, so, even, you know, they don't think it through themselves. Yeah, exactly. It was just <laughs> yelling for something so that it sounds bad. And people don't don't think it because they don't, I mean, at that level, you don't, when you listen to something and it scares you because you say sterility, even if you're 65 mm. and you don't give a damn anymore, you think, well, <laughs> uh, you know, I shouldn't take the vaccine because it's going to leave me sterile. But I don't want any kids or grandchildren or anything. Like other people will do them for me, but <laughs> it doesn't matter. So... <laughs> Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. That's that's the, 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 mostly it was just. I mean, I think the press had a, a big influence. Currently, the big conversation is around hospitals being full. So this uh, at this point, we are in Italy twenty twenty levels mm -hmm. uh, with worse hospitals. So Italy is like a developed country which <laughs> has proper health system. Romania is not right. It's not there yet. Mm. And the hospitals are not at that, at that level. We don't have the resources to cover that sort of thing. And they were overwhelmed and we are overwhelmed. Some people are saying we're at the, very close to the top, to the top of the hill. Mm -hmm. But it, there may be still some room to grow. Before we started recording, you said that to get a, a test, you actually have to pay for it. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, that was also... Um, so this is the, the thing about cases, because I think the number of cases is still underreported. You know, once you get into hospital, you're obviously counted, but there's still a lot of people who are positive and have not reported it to anyone. They, they got their own test, you can get it from the pharmacy. But since nobody has reported you because you did your own test at home, who's going to come and check? Yeah. And that means you're actually free to do anything you want and, you know, spread to other people if you're well enough to get out of the house. And if you're well enough to get out of the house, you're going to say, well, I'm going to wear a mask and, you know, <laughs> it's going to be fine. Yeah. So that means also you can't trust the statistics on how many people have tested positive because there's a lot of it's a lot yeah. of underreporting. So instead, you could look, I guess, on death rates and and maybe if that isn't even reported correctly, you could look at excess deaths, excess mortality. Yeah, excess mortality. Where, where do you stand there? Well, I think we're okay on mortality. Honestly, I think the numbers are are close to reality. We do have a gap to excess mortality. I think it's about. 25,000 people this year on excess. But they don't all need to be COVID, right? Because we have a lot of people who have not be, been able to access healthcare and mm -hmm. delay, they got delays on their healthcare, which, you know, sometimes it matters and it may lead to a worse consequence down the road. So just to be clear, deaths in this pandemic all over the world are not just from COVID or COVID related. Mm -hmm. They are also deaths from everyone else that has been affected and we may not know the full impact for years, actually. Do you think there's a, a sort of an... Well, I can see on certain statistics that there is some sort of Eastern European... You have it in common with some of your neighbors. I, I'm looking at yeah. Ukraine only have 14% fully vaccinated of the population, according to official statistics. I'm looking at our world in data, which is usually mm -hmm. fairly correct. Romania is at 29%. Uh, yeah. North Macedonia is 36% and so on. And in, in Europe as a whole, it's 53%. So is is it a tradition? Well, tradition is the wrong word. Is there a <laughs> traditional distrust, if I put it that way, in yes. official, uh, in, in the government due to the history? Yeah. yeah, that's one of the biggest things, right? Because people say they don't trust the mm. government, and that's fine. <laughs> I don't mind. But and because they don't trust the government, they will not take the vaccine because the government says so. I get that. However, the point is that the government did not make the vaccine. 
I'm the big, biggest mm. fans of vaccines mm. across Europe, right? Yes, you are. <laughs> so, so <laughs> you're known so, for that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I would not trust the the, the a politician saying, "I just made a great vaccine. Here you go, take it." No, but I will trust like experts across the world who have left everything in 2020 and said, "Okay, let's make a vaccine." Even if they work for a company, for like a private company, they're going to make a profit. That's fine. You know what? Take a profit, whatever. Just give me something to stop this from from affecting, um, you know, my community, my country, my everything there. So Eastern Europe do not know how to say this to people. They don't know how to say, okay, it's fine. You don't trust me, but I'm not responsible for this. I'm responsible from, for getting it to you and making sure it's safe to get to you. But other people have done it and the people that have done it have done a good job on it okay yeah that's right so so what can we do i know you have had for a long time this very big group on on facebook to promote yeah, vaccines and to answer people's questions and uh, is that the way you're working with it now is there anybody else working with it with the problem no it's it's still there the group is still there it's actually it's been in this few months of very low activity in the summer Basically, mm -hmm. when, from when the, the politicians started saying, oh, it's everything okay, the pandemic is over, people stopped caring and stopped asking questions. And now, in the last two weeks, we've been flooded with questions and the same questions all the time. Uh -huh. So, if I have this disease, should I get vaccinated? Yet, there's no disease that you have that prevents you from getting vaccinated. Honestly, there's no, none. <laughs> what disease could you right. have? Where it's better to not get vaccinated, but it's okay to get COVID. Which, how do you like put those together? Okay, sure, the vaccine has a risk, but your disease also has a risk, and getting COVID on top of it, it's not going to get better. It's not going to make it a, a simpler disease because you got another one on top. <clears throat> um, right. Yeah, the group is still there. I'm still, I'm still supporting that. We're getting a lot of questions from adults now, more than we got for for kids. And just to remind people, this is a huge group, right? It's tens yeah, of it's thousands. About, How, it's oh, almost a hundred thousand people in it. Yeah, you're right. That and that is yeah. that is big, even on Facebook, because this is yeah. in Romanian yeah. for Romanians, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, hmm. yeah. It's a it's a big group. There's, um, I mean, I think it's doing good uh, to you know as a as helping out people. And I think my my focus always there was to to help people get quality information and every time we ask her we'll say that this is the right i mean this is the data and if they want to say how do you how do you know that and I say, look here's the link right what do you think needs to happen now do you have any other way of beating i this? mean i don't want to be the guy that always says mandatory vaccination is the is the way to go but that's the way to go okay <laughs> um so i mean in terms of vaccination we're at the end of August, which was the summer month, we had at one in one day under ten thousand people getting vaccinated, like newly vaccinated first dose. And that was the lowest number we had. Now we have almost all the time, every day, about thirty thousand doses, new doses coming in. And just to put that in perspective, how how big is the population in Romania? Well, officially it's about nineteen million people. Technically, nobody knows exactly, but it's it's at least 15 million. Okay, so somewhere between 15 and 20. <laughs> we have a big diaspora. I'm, I'm sure everyone listening uh -huh. knows a Romanian somewhere. So we need to increase vaccination as much as possible. But honestly, there's nothing that will stop a tragedy happening now. I don't want to mm. be negative, but that's there's nothing we can do at this point to stop things going worse in the next two weeks. I think lockdowns are one thing that we can try, but that won't stop for the next two weeks. It'll just slow down, but it won't stop fully. We still have a lot of access to vaccines. People are still can get vaccinated easily, and that's good. Um, I don't think it's enough. I think we should have about 100,000 people get vaccinated every day. So we're at a third of that. And if we had 100,000 vaccinated every day, we, we, we would be done in two months and we'd have a 70% coverage. So bad news, I'm afraid, but uh, good to hear from you anyway, Uvidio. And uh, yep. this is, a, again, it's a reminder of what happens uh, and that the pandemic isn't over, even though we in Sweden and in other countries are starting to feel like maybe we see the end of the, the tunnel here now. But we still have a way to go for the world to get uh, a grip on this. Thank you very much, Ovidio, and uh, good luck. And uh, I hope it won't take two years before we talk again next time. <laughs> sure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks. 
I'm sure it was a very interesting interview. Um, uh, you haven't had time to listen to it yet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But I know that your quality control is also very good, Pontus. So <laughs> Thank you very much. And I'll listen to it when the episode actually comes out. Mm. So in regards to the news, we didn't stop with good news yet. So <laughs> <laughs> because homeopathy is out of support of the Bavarian Physicians Chamber. Bayerische Ärztekammer in German. <laughs> I was going to say that, but I... Yes, yeah. <laughs> oh, you, you know that, <laughs> Ärztekammer. <laughs> no, but that's a good win because it's another federal country that declined their support. But what, what does it actually mean? It means that doctors can't take an additional class for homeopathy automatically anymore. It's not part of their degree anymore. Mm-hmm. And that means that, like, yes, doctors, physicians can still become homeopaths. Everyone can become a homeopath, basically. So doctors can too. But it's not an, like it's not easy for them anymore. You can't add that to your official medical title. Exactly. And I would say it's a baby step, but it's still important. Like baby steps also go forward and it's a step in the right direction. <laughs> right. But it doesn't mean that homeopathy isn't subsidized in some ways by public means, right? Yeah, that's still there. And, and it's, yeah, the, the problem is like the degree of doctors and like physicians is something completely different and is a completely different department right. than what insurances cover, for example. Mm. Yeah, it's a lot of different fields that have to be tackled by policymakers and by customers and by uh, science. <laughs> right. So we've been saying that. Jens Spahn, we know that you're listening. We've told you a long time. <laughs> Our biggest fan. <laughs> Please get rid of the funding of homeopathy in Germany, just like yes. they did in the UK and in France. It's Germany's time now. Thank exactly. you. Exactly. All right. Okay, so back to some COVID uh, news again. Italy was hit very hard early on, on in the pandemic, as we all recall. That was, of course, before there was any vaccine. And now we do have vaccines. Then there is the matter of getting people to take them. So vaccine hesitancy has been a problem in Italy, uh, even when it comes to measles. We remember when they, they were hit especially hard during the measles epidemic in 2016 to 2018. And maybe that is why the Italian authorities now have implemented perhaps the toughest regulations, at least in Western Europe, when it comes to COVID vaccinations. As of last Friday, that is the 15th of October, You can be fined up to uh, 1,500 euros if you go to work without having a so-called green pass, which shows that you have either had your vaccination or you have recovered from COVID or that you've had a negative COVID test within the last 48 hours. We've heard Andras talk about these green passes, right? When he's mm. taking tourists to Italy. So this is serious. They are taking this seriously in Italy. And which they should, of course. I mean, COVID is a serious business. Yeah, and they suffered a lot in Italy. Yes. But the new regulations, of course, hasn't come without opposition. We got an email with an update from listener Claudio in Italy about this. He's been sending us emails in the past and we appreciate it very much. Please keep doing so, Claudio. And anyone else as well can do that. Just send an email to info at theesp.eu. Anyway, there's been in Italy, perhaps not actual riots, but uh, sometimes violent protests uh, in the streets about these new rules. Mm. Especially in the harbor city of Trieste, there was a big hullabaloo last Friday and the police had to use water cannons and tear gas to fight off the crowd of workers who were blocking uh, the port there. Wow. Yeah, and there's been there's been uh, demonstrations in other cities as well, all across Italy. Vaccine uptake in Italy hasn't been terrible, according to the news that I've read. Over eighty percent of the population above twelve years old have received at least one shot. I didn't see exactly how many have received a full shot. Claudio also says that the new rules have increased vaccinations a little bit. 
And we've already had uh, Ovidio uh, calling for mandatory vaccination in this episode. And, and here's another example of uh, how it can play out. So Italy's actually implemented some sort of mandatory vaccination. You can't go to work unless you're vaccinated. But even though people are getting vaccinated, there are still around 3 million workers in Italy who are not vaccinated at all. All of them, of course, are not rabid anti-vaxxers. They're just hesitating a little bit, you know, waiting, not really convinced. But what's happening also is that there's there's a lot of right-wing nonsense of uh, protecting our freedoms, (laughs) quote-unquote. Yeah. Uh, And I think it's getting exploited by the far right, like, for instance, the Forza Nuova party, which is uh, one of these very right-wing parties uh, that we see too many of these days, I think. They are anti-abortion, anti-immigration, very much pro-Catholic church, and they aim for something they call, quote, national reconstruction, end quote, whatever that means. It's, yeah, it's a typical, it good. Yeah, it's a typical nostalgia for something that was, but never actually was, because they, yeah. they paint up a, a picture of the country how it used to be when it was also great and when you look at the facts it was never that great it was just it's just an invention and i I think also now what they do now is they use the vaccination issue to try to radicalize some of the vaccine hesitant people so they they pick up on this vaccine hesitancy and they mobilize get people involved in their course or they say that this is what we want to and they and it's uh, it's a worry we see that in in other places as well yeah that's actually why the german politician karl lauterbach says he's against vaccination like a mandatory vaccination mm. because he said that the radical people will use that against it and he said in his opinion the herd immunity is hard to reach anyways but it would give the radical people like cannon fodder yeah. if we actually put this through. Yeah. So he said like he's he's not for that, uh, despite being very smart and very uh, informative about COVID. Yeah. I don't know if listeners remember, but this is a debate we had for a while yeah. during the measles epidemic a number of years ago now that where Andras and, and Jelena was very much for mandatory vaccination. And I was a little bit on the other side saying, well, I sympathize. I want everybody to be vaccinated, but I'm afraid it will backfire. It will create conspiracy theories. It will um, it will not necessarily give the outcome that you want. Yeah. I think we, we stopped discussing it actually after a while <laughs> because we had said all the arguments. I, my position now is I think that mandatory vaccination can be the last resort in some cases where you you have to do it when you, there's no other solution. I think it's different in different countries. In countries where you have a big trust in authorities and in experts, I think it is unnecessary and harmful. Yeah. But if nobody is getting vaccinated and uh, nobody listens, maybe you don't have a choice. I don't know. Yeah, I, f- I find it's like it's, it's super annoying if people don't get vaccinated, but... Especially in Germany, you can't do medical treatments without consent. Right. Of course, I in like as a parent, for example, I have to consent for Luna to get vaccinated, and I would do that even if she says no when she's like ten or so, you know, because I'm the parent. Yeah. And I know how bad, for example, polio is. Apart from that, you can't do that to an adult who says no. Like he has to give consent or she. Right. And I, I do I uh, sympathize with that very much. I don't want people to come and tell me what to do with my body and what to what pills I have to take, etc. But at the same time, vaccinations is a special case because yeah. it doesn't just affect you personally. It also, if we're talking about herd immunity, it also affects people around you. And uh, I, of course, think that the best way is to convince everybody with good arguments. Yeah. And we have to show solidarity with people who can't get vaccinated. I've got a friend who has like non-working kidneys. She can't get vaccinated. She has to trust other people to be vaccinated. Hmm. So... Yeah, it's a um, it's a hard line to balance on, basically. <laughs> right. So my position here right now is that 
you shouldn't be able to hold somebody down and force a needle into them against their will. But there should be consequences if you don't do it. If you don't voluntarily take the shots, then there are certain limitations in your movements later on that you cannot, for instance, go to work. You cannot send your unvaccinated kid to school. Yeah. That that is an acceptable infringement of your freedoms, if you mm-hmm. will. Yeah. Yeah, it's like I think Australia does that at um like with yes. no jab, no play. Yes. For example. No jab, no pay, and no jab, no mm-hmm. play. They have the yeah. both both of them. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's a good incentive. Like if I would get less support, I would immediately get vaccinated, you know. Right. <laughs> I mean yeah. I am vaccinated, that was a rhetoric figure. <laughs> yes, of course. We 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 all know that. But as Claudio says in his email, uh it has had some effect. Vaccinations have picked up after these mandatory rules in Italy. And that's very good news. Mm. Something that's also newsworthy is that Natalie Grams or officially Natalie Grams Nopman is in Bloomberg, in English media. Mm. So there was a very interesting article in English published about her, about the German behavior in regards to homeopathy and her career as a homeopathic doctor turned skeptical activist. Yes, right. So Natalie Grams-Nobmann was the leader or the, the spokesperson for Informationsnetzwerk Homeopathy, or Informationsnetzwerk Homeopathie. <laughs> Almost the same. <laughs> Almost the same, yeah. Just a TH in there. <laughs> mm-hmm. She went back to being a medical doctor at the beginning of the pandemic and is still very much an activist to inform the public about homeopathy and why it's not working. One of her favorite sentences or statements that I always keep in mind and I always quote is... A cold with homeopathy lasts a week and a cold where you don't take homeopathy lasts seven days. <laughs> right. So that's the difference. Yeah, exactly. Natalie, of course, has also been on the show uh, yes. twice, uh, according to my notes here. The first time was uh, back in, uh, when was that? It must have been 2016, I think. Yes, in October 2016, episode 42. And then she was also back on our episode 100 that we called Superheroes of Skepticism. So we mm-hmm. had a number of people there. So uh, yeah, she is really a superhero of skepticism. Yeah, she definitely is. And that's actually what she also says in the interview, that she, she is receiving a lot of hate, but she says it's also really fun. <laughs> Not to receive the hate, I guess. No, but to to be an activist. (laughs) Yeah, yes. All right, I have a little bit more COVID-related news, this time from Russia. Putin, not not our friend, but Putin, who everybody knows, (laughs) loves and hates, uh, he he has a problem with uh, the Russian population. And not, not just that they don't agree with him, but they are decreasing over time. It's not a, a new phenomenon. It was a problem that he inherited already from the Soviet times. In the 1990s, it was due to social issues, poverty and alcoholism. It started to turn around a bit around the year 2000. The standard of living improved and average life expectancy started to shift upwards slowly. But still, the population was decreasing and and that is not a good thing for a country. The big problem now, as reported by the independent news source called The Bell, is that it's still, it's decreasing again, even faster. And uh, any guesses as to why? Hmm. They're still drinking, I'm sure. (laughs) But there's also the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. So the Russian population decreased by 577,000 in 2020. Wow. So that's over half a million Mm. people less when the year ended. Mm. And in 2020 was the first time in 17 years that the life expectancy went down again. And it was then uh, 21.1 years. I haven't checked how that compares to other countries, but I think it sounds low. It Uh, sounds Yeah, for for the Western world world anyway. And this year, it's expected to decrease to 20.2 years. So that's almost one year less than in 2020. Yeah. And in one year, an average is, is huge. Yeah, that, that's big. That's big. So Russia has had a lot of problems with getting people vaccinated. 
and this is mostly due to distrust of the government and the authorities. They do, of course, have their own Sputnik V vaccine, and I, I, well, I think there's a few others as well that are, are, are Russian, but people just don't trust them, so they, do, they won't take them. As of 13th of October, only 30.9% of the Russian population was fully vaccinated. And that's very low. That's very low. Yeah. This is where you can see that if you have a government that nobody trusts, it's actually a question of life and death in certain it circumstances. Is. Yeah. Yeah. So really, really bad. Definitely. So, yeah, thanks, Pontus, for bringing the mood down. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I have another Russian news item as well uh, that I saw just five min minutes before we started recording. So maybe people will know more about it than I do at the moment. But it's about Russia. It's also about the European Space Agency and the European Copernicus satellite program, which Ooh. I believe we have talked about on the show I wish Anders was here because he will remember. I yes, looked he would. <laughs> quickly for it, but I couldn't find when we talked about it. Anyway, what the European Copernicus satellite program discovered was a huge methane gas leak in Russia. It was discovered on the 4th of June, but the news just broke today. Apparently, there was a big gas pipe that sprang a leak and... They say that 395 metric tons per hour of methane were just spouting up into the air. And there are satellite photos online, which we will link to, where you can see it's huge. It's spreading across half the globe. And this is bad news for everybody. Uh, methane, of course, is a terrible greenhouse gas. We're just at the moment waiting for the big uh, climate conference in uh, Glasgow, is it? Mm. Yeah, this weekend. And uh, I'm sure that Putin, again, is a bit worried about this because uh, really bad timing for him to look like the bad guy again. But uh, then again, he is. <laughs> and isn't it typical Russia that these things happen and they don't report it? They don't say anything and... Uh, we have to find it out because there are satellites going above the country. It reminds me a bit of Chernobyl, actually. A little a little bit, yes. I don't know, but I guess that we would know we would have known about Chernobyl quicker now, if it happened now, than we did back in, in the day. But uh, on the positive side, kudos to, to ESA, the European Space Agency, for mm. their great uh, space programs and the how they can spot these things. Bad news, of course, for planet Earth, yeah. which this contributes to the global warming and stuff. And methane is actually worse than CO2 in one way as a greenhouse gas. The only good thing with it is that it disappears much quicker than, than CO2 does. Yeah, great. I, I think <laughs> it's like, it feels like planet Earth is endangered anyway, so... I yeah. think planet Earth will <laughs> always planet, be like, there. Exactly. Not, well, not always, but for a long, long time. The problem is that we are making it very hard for ourselves to live yeah. there. there. I read a cartoon the other day where like, it was like a figure is speaking to Mother Earth. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and the person is saying, oh, I'm so sorry. And Mother Earth is saying, you don't have to be sorry because you're only making life impossible for you. I will survive. <laughs> That's right. That's right. With that, I think we'll close the news. Mm -hmm. And now I want to find out if someone or something was really right or really wrong this week. Mm -hmm. Right. So there is a new government in Norway. And the transition from the old conservative administration happened on the 14th of October. And there is now a new center-left coalition government led by the Labour Party and also includes the Center Party. And of course, they announced their policies. And there is one thing that is sticking out like a sore thumb. In a world where climate change is perhaps the most important question of all, they will continue the same policy that the old right-wing government had. And that is to keep exploring and drilling for oil and gas. They will actually expand their oil and gas business. 
There's a quote here saying the Norwegian petroleum industry will be developed, not dismantled, end quote. That was uh, in a policy document uh, sent out by the two parties. And they added that they will maintain the existing system for handing out uh, exploration licenses. Norway is Western Europe's largest oil and gas producer, pumping around 4 billion barrels of oil equivalent per day. And um, they are deriving half their income from this business, from hydrocarbons. The thing is that Norway has actually come very far when it comes to green energy. Most cars that are sold in Norway are electric and the country is hugely driven by renewable energy. So the only reason to keep pumping up that oil is money selling fossil fuels to other countries. And what really drives me crazy is the attitude they have there in Norway. Erna Solberg, she is the newly resigned prime minister. She recently explained Norway's position when they questioned her if this is not going against the Paris Agreement, which of course Norway has signed. And she explained that, and I quote, The Paris Agreement is based on the fact that you should cut emissions where emissions are created. And it's not created because you're producing oil. It's creating because you're using the oil. End quote. What the hell? Yeah. What kind of hypocrisy is that? I was just like, uh, what? <laughs> but really? You really said that? Now, of course, the new government, which until last week uh, was in opposition, they have clearly adopted the same hypocritical policy. So, for being total egotists and totally lacking any sense of responsibility for the climate crisis, the new government in Norway, as well as the old one, of course, who started it, they get today's prize for being really wrong. Well deserved. Mm. Thank you, Pontus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't. It, it's not enough with gigantic gas leaks in Russia. We also yeah. need to have people that you thought were sensible saying, "No, we're not burned oil. We're just pumping it up off the ground." Uh, <laughs> Should <okay>. be right. <laughs> <sighs> we don't it's care like, what people do with it. Yeah, it's like you're not allowed to sell it, but you can possess it. <laughs> yeah. Like- For all your giant oil and gas collectors out there, you're free to buy it as long as you don't burn it. Okay. (laughs) You can make plastic bags of it, you know, and then we know how good the idea is. How good that that is is for the environment, yeah. Yeah, nevertheless, thank you, Pontus. (laughs) (laughs) So that pretty much concludes our show, but I still have two things I want to say. Mm-hmm. The one thing is that we still want to steer our listeners towards our Patreon page. Yes, please. Yeah, because we have conferences coming up next year, hopefully in person. Mm. And we all are doing this on our free time. So we would really appreciate you supporting us. And also we are thankful for anything you, you give us. So like one euro a month whatever we're just happy whatever you can give us and of course we're not getting paid we're not getting any salary etc we do this just because we love doing it but we do have expenses and if we want to go to qed and if we want to go to the european uh, skeptics congress uh, it costs money and we need to take time off work etc so it would be extremely appreciated if you could go to patreon.com slash the esp and pledge one, two, three euros. Sorry, actually, I think it's dollars. But um, it is anyway, dollars. It's but... <laughs> dollars. Yeah, per per episode or just one. And you can put a cap and say, I won't. I refuse to give anything more than one dollar every month. You can do that as well, and uh, we will still be very grateful. Yeah, and if if four hundred <laughs> people do that, we still get very good uh, support out of it to right. go to the conferences or to. If if something breaks, my microphone breaks or so that we can get uh, yeah. new technology for the podcast. So that's the one thing I wanted to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Good. thank you to those who already are doing that. Oh, yeah. I thank you very say. much. Yeah. The second thing is you might have seen on the on the episode number that we are on episode 296. Mm. So that means episode 300 is only roughly a month in the future. Mm. And for that, please, I want you to send us questions. And 
please ask us questions that you were always wondering about us. Right. <laughs> so, what is Annika's favorite color? Exactly. For example, <laughs> <laughs> I won't an- answer that now because that's something for that's the Q and A right. episode. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> You can just send your questions at info at the sp.eu. You can send them on Twitter or on Facebook. We'll be very excited to collect all the questions and then answer as many as we can in episode 300. <laughs> exactly. And they could be silly questions, but it could also be serious questions. Exactly. Of course, what do we think is the solution to problem X? Uh, and if we don't feel qualified to answer, we will say so. But the the question is free. Exactly. <laughs> So, with that being said, that's actually the end of our show. So, thank you, Pontus. Thank you. (laughs) And thank you to you, dear listener. (laughs) But I don't want anyone to go without a quote. And this week, our quote comes from Natalie Grams-Nobman, former homeopath, now activist that we talked about before. Her quote, short and sweet, is just, homeopathy doesn't work beyond the placebo effect. Ah, Very concise. (laughs) And uh, how could it? (laughs) How could it work more than that? But uh, very apt, I think, homeopathy is a 200-year-old idea that even when it was new, some people called out to be bullshit. It has not been proven. And uh, can we please stop selling it now, please? Yes, please. And with that, I say goodbye. Hello. Tschüss. Wieslat. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at theesp.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. Interesting topics and interviews. And interviews with people uh, stop, mostly... Stop, you can't sorry. say it while laughing. You have to do... I just laugh about the interviews with TH, like interviews. Interviews. <laughs> okay. Sorry. In my interviews, <laughs> I was another man, yes. So... <laughs> trying to talk too fast. Keep pumping up that oil is money. So are we having a break or... No, we're just Or a, a breakdown, <laughs> maybe? No, just having a Luna high. Bit of Luna time. Yeah, she looks happy. (laughs) She's amazing. Sorry. Okay. What's just a Luna eclipse? (laughs) (laughs) That's right.